Invite your attention tonight to the book of Joshua, book of Joshua, chapter 2, the message I'm calling The Messengers. The Messengers, you'll see why. Joshua, chapter 2, and verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. May God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. We're continuing on in our study of this great Old Testament book. Uh, Again, we'll not be going through it just verse by verse, but uh, we will be covering all the major stories, the great, great Bible stories that are laid out for us in this incredible Old Testament book. And we'll do it under the general theme of going further because uh, God is leading the children of Israel on and he's leading them into the fulfillment of the incredible promises that he made that are recorded in verse 3 of chapter 1 where God told them every place, and this is an interesting way to put it, that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, as I said to Moses, This was not a new promise. It was the same promise God had made them before. But I find it interesting that he said, wherever you step, every step you take will be on conquered ground. Already yours. But what that also means is that God wouldn't give them one step more than they were willing to take. Wherever they stopped, that was it. Wherever your feet, the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites into the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. So God had given them this land, but they would have to claim those promises by faith, the faith to go, then conquer that land by faith, and then hold on to it. By faith. In a similar way, God has given us some great promises. Think about Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 where it says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God has already blessed us with. But as we begin to claim those promises by faith, we're going to find some of the same things that Joshua found. Look in Ephesians 6 and 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Similar passage, Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Here are God's promises to us. Here are the steps that we take that appropriate God's promises. Every step is a step of faith. And every step of faith is going to unleash a battle 
inside of you and inside of me. Because the flesh hates faith. (laughs) The flesh hates faith. The flesh lusts against it. And notice they are contrary to one another. So that in our spiritual life, with our heart of faith, we long to follow after God and and claim those promises and experience His victory. But on the other side, there's that little voice down deep inside of our heart and soul that's telling us, this is crazy. It'll never work. You'll fall flat. You're going to fail. You'll be a laughingstock. Can't work. The flesh... Lust against the spirit. And they are contrary one to another. So the story of Joshua then leading the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. And taking those promises and appropriating those promises by faith. And then having to conquer that ground that God had given them. Having to fight to get it. Fight to hold on to it. It's very much like our life of faith. We have to fight the good fight of faith. Jericho was a very strategic and well-fortified city. And it was the first city they came to in the conquest of the promised land. It was not a huge city. If you think of the city of Jericho as a metropolis, it was not. It was not. The actual walled portion of the city of Jericho that's confirmed by both historical and archaeological evidence, the actual walled part of the city of Jericho was about nine acres. To put that in perspective, that's about as much ground as we have here in our church property from the road back here up to the front, side to side. That's about how big the walled city of Jericho was, about nine acres, maybe a little bigger uh, than our property here. I'm not sure what exactly our uh, footprint is here, but it's close to that. So it wasn't a huge, huge city. But it was a very strategically located city. And remember, I'm just talking about the walled portion of the city. Obviously, there'd be a lot more houses and things out around that. Uh, That happened with all of the ancient cities. Uh, It was located, though, at a very strategic location. It was part of the trade routes. It was well fortified. And it certainly was a big test for the fledgling armies of the people of Israel. Now, as we begin to see how things are going to play out, God gives us an interesting way of thinking about it. James chapter 2 and verse 25 describes this whole story uh, with this. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers the messengers. Now we call them spies. And they were spies. Even in our day of high-tech imagery and all the resources that are available to modern armies today, uh, there's still something to be said for having a feet on the ground and getting up close eye personal uh, <laughs> eyewitness reconnaissance. We still do that. After all these years, we still send in these people who will look around. But isn't it interesting that the Bible refers to these men in the book of James not as spies, but as messengers? Isn't it interesting 
that the primary story about all of their efforts is all about the Gentile woman named Rahab. Isn't it interesting that Rahab's faith in the God of Israel is not found at the end of the book, but almost on the first page? So we'll learn from the consideration of this passage tonight and the very prominent way that it figures into the biblical narrative that when God leads us, when He is moving us on in our life of faith, part of why He does that, part of what He does as He is moving us on, maybe taking us further than we've ever gone, almost certainly taking us further than we would have ever gone had He just left us to our own. He does so with the intention for us to be a messenger, a messenger sometimes as he sends us maybe even into enemy territory in a way, a messenger. Now the text tonight will unfold under three headings. I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm going to save the last one until next week. So really we're only going to consider a couple of these. And the first one is, we'll see of course Rahab's protection. And that comes in verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun uh, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and, and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the women took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. That means I don't know. <laughs> Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in un an order upon the roof. Our first information about Rahab was that she was a prostitute. In her culture and in her location and time, that probably meant that she worked in one of the Canaanite temples because almost all of the Canaanite gods were attended to by priestesses whose primary uh, responsibility uh, was in that of prostitution. Um, uh, that's a sad thing to say, uh, and yet it's a truthful thing to say. We dare not even to imagine the depths of sin that Rahab had seen and experienced through her up-close and personal involvement with the Canaanite idolatry and the worship of their false gods. The second information about Rahab that we're given in the passage was that she took in the spies. She took in the spies, and she told a very big whopping lie in order to protect them. Now that gives us somewhat of an ethical dilemma because the book of James chapter 2 and verse 25 tells us that she was justified by works. And part of the works, and, and now you understand, and that's a, a great biblical writing. In case you don't understand, let me tell you about it right quick. Because when James says that Rahab was justified by works and makes that also that same thing about others in James chapter 2, 
he is talking about not being justified in the sight of God because the only way that we can be justified in the sight of God is by faith, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is clearly taught in multiple passages. What James is talking about is being justified before men. And that is putting our faith out there so that people can see it. So that we're not just justified before God, but we're also justified. We're seen then as justified by other people. He gave the classic illustration of that. If somebody comes to your door and they're all hungry and cold and you say, be warm and filled and slam the door. What have you done? Uh, well, that guy told me to get warm and have a full belly. Uh, but he didn't give me a blanket, didn't give me any food. Uh, it was just words. That's James' point. We don't want our faith to be just words before a watching world. And so he talks about then how we're justified before men. And certainly, that is a glorious story that's told here in the life of Rahab. But again, it leaves us with an ethical dilemma. Since she was justified by works, and she told a big lie. Hmm. Let's just understand tonight that this was a time of war. And sometimes in a time of war... Uh, lying is, and practicing deception is what has to be done. In fact, it's what is routinely done in trying to fool the enemy and make them think that you're going to do one thing and in fact you know all the time that you're doing something else and, and it is a part of the intrigue of warfare. It's common. It is a common practice. I'm not telling you it's right. I'm telling you it's part of war. And she told a lie in the accomplishment of war we don't use that to justify lying well you have to lie sometimes in war so that means it's okay to lie everywhere else no you have to kill sometimes in war that don't make it right to kill in other places you understand we don't use what happens in war as a justification for everything in the world or, or to say, well, it's okay sometimes. No, uh, we don't do that. We, we know better. This was a tactic. It was something that had to happen. What the Bible then tells us about Rahab is that she took these men into her house, that the visit was noticed and noteworthy to those who saw them come in. Let's understand that these men were made as spies the minute they walked in the city of Jericho. Uh, they were complete failures as spies. Uh, I mean, they were, they were noticed. Everybody knew who they were. Uh, and had it not been for Rahab's protection, no doubt they would have been caught and killed. But as she hid them and protected them, we'd also have to ask tonight, and I think the wives of the spies who were seen in probably asked, how did they happen to fall in with Rahab? There's only a couple of possibilities. Either they were looking for her or she went looking for them. And I think in the text, the latter is the more uh, believable way to think. Uh, she recognized them just like everybody else did. She knew immediately that they were spies from the people of Israel. She told them so, and she knew they needed protection. She took them in. And so you see then the protection that Ahab offered to these men, and that's very prominently presented in the text. 
Then in verse 8, you see her confession, the confession that she makes. And before uh, they were laid down, she came up unto them, to the spies upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Isn't that amazing? I know. And that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. Rahab knew. (coughs) She knew something that others maybe had considered, others may have thought about, but she knew the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Imagine how empty and vain, how vile and how sinful Rahab had come to know the worship of the gods of the Canaanites. And to hear about the Lord God of Israel caused her heart to rise up to meet him. We know, I know, that the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and in earth beneath. She had heard about what God did. She had heard about what they did as God worked through them. And these two things served as the basis of her conviction. We know that the Lord has given you this land. We know it. It reminds me of the words of another pagan woman by the name of Ruth, raised as a Moabite, far, far from the people of God, under the curse of God, under the tenth generation. Ruth would say to her mother-in-law, Naomi, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Ruth may not have known much more about God than Rahab did. But even this much knowledge in the hearts of these pagan peoples was proof positive that the Spirit of God had been working in their hearts. The God of Israel, you see, is leading His people. He's leading them forward under the promise of success, under the promise of prosperity and the promise of victory. But right up front, He lets them know (coughs) that He knows all about what's happening. Right up front, He shows them That there are people in the land like Rahab who were just waiting on them to arrive so they could learn more about the Lord God of Israel. All around us in our community, in our place, in our family, in our place of business, all around us are people who long to know the same thing that Rahab knew. That God is real and that he's real to us. God's real, that he's real to us, and that he's working. 
That's why Simon Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man a reason that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Notice that Simon Peter presupposes that we'll be asked. That there'll be enough about our life to show that God is real. And that he's real to us. And that he's really working. And that he's really changing lives. And when someone asks us then, we are ready to tell them the reason for our hope. Uh, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is firmly in Christ the solid rock. Then, of course, there's her profession of faith. She said in verse 21, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Now, I'm not going to preach about that tonight, I told you. We're going to save that scarlet thread message for next week because, quite frankly, it's one of my favorite passages to preach on out of the Old Testament. Uh, That scarlet thread is an amazing testimony. It was then, it is tonight. It involves a covenant made with these messengers, one that would save Rahab's life, one that would save her family's life, one that would save the lives of the spies. It was simply the scarlet cord that was both her identification and it was her proclamation, her identification. She was identifying herself then with the people of God and God's plan for them. Her proclamation that she was not ashamed. She was not ashamed of what had happened, what was going to happen, how God was working in her life. As we go forward into that next week, I tell you, I'm excited already about the chance to preach it. And I'm not going to preach. I promised I wouldn't do it. I'm not going to. So here we are. Here was a woman who spent all of her life in pagan darkness. When we consider the wilderness wandering 40 years, all the time they were worried about those giants in the land. All the time they were worried about the armies. They were worried about the walled cities. Now when they finally get there, what do they figure out? Man, we've been scared this whole time. Our hearts have been melting. We've been watching y'all this whole time. We've heard about what y'all did to Egypt. Can you imagine what a town like Jericho would think about these armies of Israel that had conquered the mightiest army in the world, the army of Egypt, not by their own power, but by the power of their God. They'd heard it, and they were waiting. In some ways, they were waiting with great dread. And for good reason. For good reason. But not Rahab. Not Rahab. Not in fear. Not in dread. But in anticipation. (laughs) As soon as those spies showed up, She knew who they were. Went straight to them. Said, you've got to come to my house. So I can hide you. (laughs) Because everybody knows you're here. 
she was waiting for. A Gentile. A woman that had lived a terrible life of sin and false religion, bondage to false religion. But now the knowledge of the Lord God of Israel was going to change her life forever. Folk, that's the God we still preach about today. And let's just understand as we're talking about going further and living out God's promises in our life. God didn't leave this just in isolation about what it does for us. It doesn't just give us a warm fuzzy or or make us have a good life. There's more to it there. There's somebody in your circle of friends, somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with, somebody lives on your street, somebody who needs to know that God is real and that he's real in your life. And you can show them that. Let's stand together, please.